listening to the podcast the other day, I, I heard myself far too clearly mm-hmm. and I had to turn down the esser. Do you know that? What's an esser? I'll give you an essay. <laughs> the the, the essers are what lessen this the the sharpness of a. S. Oh yeah, so you ds something. It's literally d e s s e r d s e r. That said, what's your safe word? Uh, I'm gonna use the same safe word I used before: gobbledygook. <laughs> <sighs> Welcome back to What's Your Safe Pod. I'm Amp. I'm Race Bannon. And today, no daddy. He's not allowed. He's having too much fun. He's off in London or Manchester or Berlin. I don't actually know where he is at the moment currently. Oh, speak of the devil. He just texted me. <laughs> and I am technically a daddy. So true. I'm kind you, of daddy replacement. You're the stand-in daddy. You are the, the daddy in paw. No, I was going to say daddy in law, but that's not, we're not legally married. No, no, not no. quite. Fuck um. the government. Um, <laughs> ooh, we might get into that today. Oh. Uh, and today I have our not only friend, activist, and good buddy and cohort, but also one of the cast members of On Guard here with us today, Race Bannon. Hello, everybody. Now, Race, you've been on this podcast before. You've been on On Guard 16 times, I think, at this point. How many episodes of On Guard are there? I think that's about right. Yeah. About a year and a half. I should know, considering I helped get them all <laughs> up and running. Um, but we were just kind of kikiing before this, which did it. Kiki, you know what Kiki means. I do. I I know. I, I watch enough Drag Race <laughs> to know what it is. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm curious. Was that always a term back in the day, or was that something just popularized by what Sister Sisters? Let's have a Kiki. Or I I certainly never heard it in mainstream gay culture, but it might have been in I don't know. Maybe like in drag culture. Maybe. I okay. Don't I don't know. Well, drag culture comes from black culture, which yep. then circulates and everyone else repopulates and uses it. So. Thank you to our POC community for what I'm sure is another term that we've gotten from them. <laughs> Thank you for, for allowing us to culturally appropriate well, whatever okay, we're appropriating. I mean, well, so what's your t- <laughs> let's get right in. No, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that as long as you and this is kind of the conversation that we had in the episode that we had with you and daddy recently, which, first of all, some of y'all are too fucking shady because I don't know if you read the comments. But I, I did. I did not. And there were the so many comments because we had race and daddy on talking about kind of older school terms and, and the history. But people in the comments were like, so where's the young gay in this? Because <laughs> I titled it <laughs> Young Gay Interviews Old Gay. It was a search engine optimization. But ouch. Oh, I thought it was funny. I, 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 I thought it was funny. But I did laugh a little bit. Um, oh, maybe that'll. Oh, and since we don't have daddy. Maybe, maybe, okay, let's, let's tea. Tea. Oh, God. So, Daddy always starts with a, so, a long so, so, which with the de-esser now probably doesn't sound as bad. Um, so. <laughs> don't test me, race. Race. Actually, something that I have a problem with this week, so... Um, for instance, the episode that, and if you haven't watched it yet, it's on the YouTube. It's young gay interviews, old gays. I don't want to hear about how the young gay wasn't existent. <laughs> young <but> gay. <laughs> um, that video actually took a week and a few days just to get up. And it's not because I didn't have the content done. It was literally most times, if you guys don't know, like we get demonetized by YouTube, every video, it's not a, it's not a, maybe it's a, it will happen. Just give it a minute. And I wasn't surprised when that video got demonetized because the topic, which I'm sure we'll get into today as well, uh, answering questions from you guys about older queer communities, 
was older queer communities. It was HIV and AIDS to a degree. It was talking about cruising and how the gay culture has grown or changed. And so I was not surprised that it was going to get a ding, but it was the fact that we were talking about HIV and AIDS that added an extra week's time to the process of them manually reviewing it. And I know multiple Google employees watched it because it had multiple views before I had even looked at it. Wow. And I waited over a week for them to review that and pretty much say, oh, it's okay to be gay. You know, it's crazy. I hear from queer content producers and um, sexual educators and their stuff is constantly demonetized and they have to sort of struggle. Um, so, yeah, well, that's good. Just it, though, is it's not that we're having to struggle harder. It's just that the well, I mean, we do struggle harder and sometimes it's fun, <laughs> but it's the platforms are built in such a way that does actively go after our content. And it's frustrating and it's stupid and it, it de definitely grinds my gears and boils my tea. But it's just odd to me how bad these platforms are. And then at the same time, I literally got an email during the week and a half that I waited for that video to go, to go up from YouTube saying, hey, it's important to like post content consistently. And I'm literally like, in the, I'm like, what? Oh my God, you uh, little assholes. Like, well, what? Since Christopher usually says something at the beginning of these that grinds his gears. Can I adopt that and have that grind my gears too? Sure. Wait, this specific thing? <laughs> this specific uh, yeah, you, thing, okay. yes. Yeah, yeah, so, so we can have it both grind our gears. I love grind. Wait, are we gonna, we're gonna start grinding? Yeah, but but we're gonna get demonetized if we do oh. it. What? <laughs> <laughs> but that's just it, like, and the other fun thing about social media is like, our channel, What's a Safe Word, is a bit more popular than On Guard, no mm -hmm. shade, no shame. Yeah. Um, but On Guard will never get demonetized, even though your talks are sometimes five times longer than a, a, a what's a safe word video and you guys talk about things like race play aids yeah. hiv almost every other episode never got a ding though it's it's mm. wild to me that because there's a larger audience on us we get graded harsher but then we get no support we get no further support huh. i'm curious actually yeah. how has let's say algorithms how has the internet as far as censorship changed in your lifetime that you've noticed? Oh, I go back to, you know, CompuServe bulletin boards and- Wow. Oh yeah, no, I go way back. I was a very early technology adopter and was doing um, uh, SM board, which was the big, you know, bulletin board for SM people. And oh, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, that you was- You say a, that like I should know, but I don't. Yeah, it was a big thing and it was, I, I kind of liked it because it was, it was a very database driven site so you could, Granular, granularly, granularly, yeah. Search for people into your kinks because it was it was not oh. it was at a very granular level, so you could really get down to what people liked. Um, and I've never seen a platform, a cruising platform of any sort, do that since. Um, well, but and to that because platforms where these things exist, whether it's an app store or a Twitter or whatever, have search term like limits to things. Yeah. If you searched, it used to be on Twitter, if you searched for gay or lesbian, blocked. But if you searched for gays or lesbians, magically multiple of them together aren't aren't bad. Yeah. It's because yeah. these these algorithms are, are, are trained by people that you'd think would be smarter than that, but they're really not. And Twitter is worse now. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to call it X ever? I, no, I don't think I, I, I can't bring myself to call it X yet. It's just, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not. It's, it's not. Twitter. It's Twitter. Did you did you hear that Musk got booed? At, oh, at the yeah, gaming at the awards gaming or awards, something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> of all things, it was at. Oh God, what competition was it? It's a specific game. It's not League of Legends. 
It's not Fortnite. I think it was. Oh, shit. Now I'm forgetting it. It's another it's, it's a game I've played before, but I didn't enjoy. Yeah. It's going to kill me. But yes, he got booed while the camera was on him. While the ca and it, he was only on for a few seconds, but apparently that's all it took for the audience to boo. <laughs> and it, it literally, you saw his face go from, ah, to, oh, uh -huh. fuck, mm -hmm. I've upset people. And like, good, good, you know, good. And it's uh -huh. nice to see that the queer, because it's a, it's a game that's very popular with gay people. Um, Valorant. I think it was Valorant. Okay. I, I am not a gaming person, so you're probably I right. I think it was Valorant. Um, but the queer, gaming, nerdy, younger audiences is just hateful of that man. And for once, I was just kind of like, well, I'm not inciting hate on anyone, but I'm just kind of like. Yeah, man, it's for me, it's not so much hate as it's a form of accountability. That's, I agree. That, that's how I, I agree. look at it. Because he has no, he has no accountability on yeah. that man. Fires people, replaces them, and then is like, oh, God, half the website doesn't work. I wonder why. Well, you fired the person that was in charge of keeping the website working. He's a very good example of somebody with way more money than 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 a good heart unfortunately and makes the worst decisions like the x the the x light that was on top mm -hmm. of the, the the twitter building was gone in a day in like 24 hours because he had no permits <laughs> multiple things he says he's going to roll out get deleted immediately they said that they're going to get rid of the block feature which is not possible because the app store literally says you have to have options for blocking with that kind of information sharing okay. like i don't i don't know what he thinks he's doing he clearly does not bounce ideas off of people who know what they're talking about. He just, you know, he spitballs is what he does. He just he shoots from the hip. And usually I'm, I like spitting. Not this time. <laughs> not this time, you know? no. No. And actually spitting in him just doesn't. Ew. Uh, uh, <laughs> ew. Uh. What we need to do is we need to get Dan Savage on it like he did with Santorum uh -huh. and turn it into like musking or oh. when, when you're just a dick on the internet and call it like musking. Dan, if you're listening to this, <laughs> this is an idea. Dan's a friend. I don't know if he's an avid listener, but I could probably text him and tell him to get on it. Okay. Because I know for a fact, I'm not going to say anything. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> on to the next. So, Race, thank you for being on the show today. I love talking with you. I love talking with you, too. We always, live on camera, we'll learn things about each other. Like, for instance, and my favorite part, I think, of the episode on YouTube with you and Daddy was, I was trying to... And my brain's always working and trying to find the segue in a conversation to keep a conversation going if there's a lot that we have to get to. But my favorite part was we were like talking about Tom of Finland and you were like, oh, he's such a lovely guy. And I'm like, okay, next question. Wait a sec, you know Tom of Finland? I, I love little anecdotes and moments like that that pop out. I'm trying to think of some other really good ones. Like the March on Washington mm -hmm. was one that I didn't know that you were involved in. Yeah. Um, but over the years, you've been involved in so many big parts of the community whether it's the pathological path patho, pathological pathologizing oh my god that word um the dsm <laughs> for like gay and queer people and kinky people um what are some really standout moments in your life that you're proud of i'm, I'm curious are there any that really stick out to you um i think when the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, now called the Task Force, gave me their Leather Leadership Award. Oh. Um, and I got to, and, and my intro was a video of Obama saying hi to the audience. <laughs> and I said, oh, good. I got, I got, I didn't really get introed by Obama, but, but in my head I did. That's nice. <laughs> and the next, next up was me accepting the award. So, um, yeah, it was great to do it in front of 3,000 people and, and wow. kind of get acknowledged within the queer community 
that was acknowledging the leather community in a way that is, I think, pretty important. Well, and, and activism, this this conversation comes up plenty with On Guard. And if you guys are listening to this but have not listened to On Guard, first of all, I apologize for some of the audio issues of late. Um, <laughs> we had some microphones that went kaput on us, but we fixed it after fixed. this next episode. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys talk about activism all the time. And as a young queer person online myself, I can fully admit that I try to be active, but that sometimes it feels so impossible to do anything. Yeah, I, th I think also we have this view of activism as it's, uh, it's boots on the ground, it's mm -hmm. sitting in an office for hours and hours uh, working on a cause. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of activism you can do that aren't necessarily that time intensive and labor intensive. And I think that's, everybody just has to find the thing that works for them because some people are not meant to be boots on the ground they're not meant to be marching into offices they're not meant to be doing that kind of activism that's just not how they're wired but there's other things they can do yeah there's i mean there, people can literally do social media for these active yep. communities to get the word out that's one of the best way to get news yeah um can you explain what the task force was though the national gay Lincoln task force is a national organization that puts forward, I'm going to use the current vernacular, queer um, uh, rights uh, uh, work, for lack of a better way of saying it. Yeah. Um, and they have been the grassroots version of other organizations that are a little bit more top political, like the Human Rights Campaign. Yeah, so like, for instance, right now, they're probably working on like things relating to trans issues, drag queens. Yep. Yeah. And, okay. And they're very much, uh, they are the boots on the ground people. They are the people that are, that get into the guts of activism. Um, the, the national conference is, uh, a, a lot of classes and workshops and meetings on how to best forward the, the LGBTQ causes across the country. And it's a national organization. So they have, uh, their tentacles into pretty much everything nationally. Ooh, tentacles. Tentacles. You, you know, this is the second time I've said that because somebody said, ooh, tentacle sex. And <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm I'm playing a game called Baldur's Gate right now, which like the evil people at the very beginning are like uh, tentacle monsters oh. called the mind flayers. So like tentacles are real hot right now. Okay. At least online. <laughs> I, I'm all I'm all for tentacles. Get me some tentacle activists <laughs> and you've you've won the internet. If you're activists, start wearing like tentacle hats or little mind flayer tentacles, you know, like squid you know Squidward? No. Uh Zoidberg. Oh yes. Like that. Yes. Imagine that but more realistic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I love that. I love that show. <laughs> That was a great show. It just came back, Futurama. Really? They started putting, yeah. They just, Isn't just, that like the second or third time it's come back? Yep. It's got power. Yeah. Because, yeah. I love it. Um, okay. So today's episode is all about activism, being active, getting engaged and involved. But you know what? This episode could not be done without the sponsor. <laughs> so today's sponsor manscape is here to be the handyman in your tool shed both in and out of the bedroom above and below the waist in fact race was looking at my notes before this and actually wait you, you said you said what's the handyman or what did you say um oh we were talking about beard products oh yeah, yeah. so manscape just came out with some brand new beard products both the beard hedger which has 20 different adjustable lengths it's a it's a hedger that goes around just your face Perfect for anyone who has a beard to just get the right manscaping or landscaping on the chin. But they have now the Handyman, which is a full-on shaver. You know how some people that might be bald? Sorry to bring that up. <laughs> Actually, perfect for you! I am, perf I am perfect for anything. I've been bald a long time. 
So they now have the handyman at Manscaped, which just is a wonderful little hand shaver that you can charge with the USB plug. Uh -huh. It travels, it's lightweight, it's cute, it's sleek, and it takes your grooming to the next step with a brand new handyman, electric face shaver, or even head shaver for a quick and convenient way to change your face and or get a clean shaven look. So if you'd like to go to manscaped.com and use offer code WATTS20, you can get 20% off and free shipping on any of your goods from Manscaped, from the beard hedger to the handyman, to maybe even some beard products, uh, hair care products, like they have crop revivers and preservers. They've got a, a body spray. They even have the travel shed, which I use all the time for all of my Manscaped products. So whether you're getting the lawnmower 4.0, the handyman, the beard hedger, or any kind of weed whacking, Check out manscaped.com, use offer code WATTS20 to get 20% off again and free shipping. I have to check this out. I have the lawnmower. So <laughs> and it I, works. It works really well. I love it. Um, and uh, some some people might be listening to this, not watching it. So I have a brand new beard that's only about a month old. Ooh. So I, I may be getting one of their products. You get a little comb. You can get some of their, their, their uh, wonderful conditioners for the hair. Lovely. Um, but you were, yeah, you were just saying before this, your beard is going, depends on how you wake up, but it's like going left or right. I think partly it's because my hair is so gray and gray <laughs> hair tends to be stiffer. Mm. And so maybe this Manscaped product would actually conditioner maybe. Be, be good for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Grace, again, thanks for coming on today. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation on the YouTubes and there were so many more questions from people on there. And with daddy being out of town. How dare he? I figured it'd be nice to kind of follow up and, and get a little bit more insight into you as an activist, you as a person, but you as a just someone that exists in our community. Every week you will send me a text message about some brand new kink or some new like uh, just the other day you sent me oh a study that was covering horse market details. Mm -hmm. And can you explain what horse market is for someone who might not know? Horse market is a men's play party. It's not a test. It's not a test. No, I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wording this 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 carefully. Um, and the the bottoms come in an hour early, and they get um, sort of a, a a talk ahead of time, so everybody knows what's going to go on. And then at some point, a hood goes on them, a half hood, and they are placed around the room. And then then the tops come in, and let's just say the tops have their way with the mares. Mm -hmm. They are the stallions with the mares and um, they do their thing and it's very consensual. And actually, it is one of the best run play or sex parties of any kind I've ever seen. That, I agree. The people who run it do an amazing job. And and for something that seems so extreme mm -hmm. to some people, I don't think I've, I mean, I've attended three times. I don't think I've ever felt more cared for and attended to and made sure that everything was okay. And, you know, do you need water? Do you need this? They're, they're really remarkable. I've so, heard that before. Yeah. Not only that it's well run, but for an event like that, which to be very honest, like it feels like there's a lot of moving parts there that could easily get a very bad consent violation in some place. Yeah. I have never heard bad things said. I've only heard good as far as organization and the people that I know that are doing it and running it seem to be doing a great job so shout out to horse market um but you sent me a study the other day that was just like the demographics of horse market yeah. and how it plays into the the queer community and what we can learn from that and i just want to say thank you first of all for keeping me engaged and abreast of things but what are before we get into some more questions from people what is right now at the forefront of your mind something that you wish the younger generation or just the queer community was engaged and aware of what is the thing you are activists or that activisting being an activist of? 
I'm it, I'm going to be honest. It's it's at the forefront of my mind is 2024 still. Oh, <laughs> I know that that's... sounds that's pretty far in advance, but um, I haven't announced it. But I'm going to do a project where I get kinky. you're running for president. No, I, <laughs> no. Although I was asked to run um, locally here in San Francisco twice, and I I won't go into specifics, but I was asked sure. to run twice, and um, I asked them. I said so you do know my background, right? And they said, yeah, you have absolutely no skeletons anybody can drag out because your life is an open book. Oh, <laughs> They can't talk about your kinky sexuality. They can't call, you know. So that was actually part of the reasoning was that I was, I had no hidden life, at least as far as they could see. Anyway. Um, no, not anyway. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. <laughs> Podcasts, there's plenty of time to talk. Um, that's fascinating. I've always said, like, give me a president whose nudes can't be leaked because they posted them themselves. Yep. Like, I don't think there's a bad thing about having someone who is transparent and having someone who, you know, because people would consider that a skeleton in the closet is being a sexual, kinky, out and proud sort of person. I've seen it used many a time for people who get put into office who are a bit more sex positive and have their histories online. Um, and while I never plan to, there are people that will joke and be like, you should run for president. And I'm like, no, first of all, no, you don't want me to run for president. Second oh, I'd vote all, for you. I don't, but <laughs> this is my campaign right now. Here we go. Okay. We go. We're launching here. No, stop. <laughs> um, I'm, I seriously like, I, I think that being a sex positive person would bring so many proper changes to uh, how we do things, sex education, how we treat kids, how we allow kids to who fucking cares what pronouns they're using so long as they're happy? Like, there's so much wrong with our government right now. It really that is. I wish someone just ran in there with a dildo on a stick <laughs> and just swung it around a little bit just to really surprise people. I also think there's an entire constituency out there that would find it a breath of fresh air for someone to just go, yeah, I'm human. Yeah, I cruise on the internet. There's nudes of me all around. I've had sex with a number of people, blah, blah, blah. And people would go, oh, okay. I honestly think that's the hiding part of it that is worse that yeah. a lot of people were would be much more accepting if they just said yeah they're they're human just like me they i just want them to pass good legislation <laughs> yeah i just want you to be educated and not not do stupid shit like some of the politicians that are in this house like office yeah. right now and even the good politicians get get swindled and and worded into some of these like laws and and guidelines like sesta foster for instance yep. so many so many democrats came out afterwards and were like Oh, that wasn't a good thing. Maybe we shouldn't have done this sex-negative legislation. How has that affected the queer community after the fact? Sesta-Fosta was one of those attached, yeah, thick, it was thick just, bill things, it and slid in under the. They don't read everything. They no. they 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 rely on their staff to read the, the, that legislation, and um, it doesn't surprise me that they were somewhat ignorant about what they were passing. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate, but yeah, yeah it doesn't yeah. surprise me. So, and to that end, so what I plan to do, and I haven't told anybody publicly yet. So this is a first. Oh, this is exclusive. And I don't really know how far this is going to go, but what I'm going to try and do is get as many kinky people across the country registered to vote as possible. I'm not going to tell them how to vote. I'm not going hmm. to push an agenda outside of, I want as many kinky people, queer people to register to vote and vote with their heart. I happen to believe they're likely to vote a certain way if they vote with, if most of them, if they vote with their heart. But um, I'm, I, I just want to focus on getting people registered because I think it's so important because as we've seen with the transphobia that mm -hmm. is going on, the anti-LGBTQ stuff going on, mm -hmm. the overtly racist bullshit that is going on, mm -hmm. um, elections matter. They and, do. Uh, I think if, 
if we get enough people registered and i think we i think we can make a, a dent in in votes oh i agree not only locally but across the the, the globe like kingsters superpowers are getting in like getting engaged and involved being loud being visible and sometimes usually not really giving a flying fuck if someone doesn't like you yeah you know so wait, what are you? How are you going to get people engaged? Are we going to like get a ha hashtag kink the vote? Like what? Uh, what it was? There actually, kink the vote already exists. Does it? Yes. Oh, okay. um, Sharon Spector of um, uh, she's one of the producers, former producers of Imsel, International yeah. Ms. Leather. Mm -hmm. um, she had a kink the vote project. So I actually haven't even talked to Sharon about this yet. Maybe I will see if she wants. You know, it's okay for us to use it. But she actually has that URL and and to kink the vote. And, and see, a kinkster would not have what I find a lot about normal society is that people are so um, not butthurt, but they have so much investment in something. They'll be like, that's my thing. You can't do it. Whereas I think a kinkster would see a good cause and oh, be yeah. like, absolutely, you can continue to use this hashtag that we started and or still use to further the goal of getting people registered to vote, yeah. which the younger generation I'm hopeful for. So long as they get registered to vote, they get out there and vote like they don't get complacent. But yeah. just the way in which people and kids especially have reacted to people like Elon Musk online or Trump or other hateful people has always, at least so far, been very promising. Well, I, I am heartened because I, um, I'm actually, uh, I've been training as a Democratic Party so, um, social media ambassador. Oh. Yes, they actually have a program where they teach pe average people how to utilize social media um, for politics. And how to do it, you know, gently but persuasively and respectfully, but you know, um, aggressively enough to get people to vote. Well, that's yeah, that's helpful because I see some of the social media that some of these politicians are just or brands in general. I used to work for brand marketing for a number of large companies, and so so often I would get in an argument with my higher ups at that company, but not because I didn't. Not because I wasn't doing what was right or shouldn't have like happened, but because they didn't think that how I was using the social media was effective. Oh. Like literally being mansplained <laughs> by the higher up who's 20 years older than me that doesn't have their own personal social media to gauge it on, but worked for the company like that would prioritize LinkedIn and Facebook posting wow. over Twitter. And they didn't even have an Instagram. Yeah. No, that's that's not uncommon in corporate life. Um, I know I came from a corporate world once upon a time and um, they were often... A little clueless about um oh. in the beginning especially yeah they were very clueless so, and even to this day i'll turn to you and say tell me about this in social media or what should i do because i know that you know way more than i do about some things and and most young people do they just they i to this day can't TikTok very well i don't know how to do it it's and it's actually on my list literally on my to-do list to take some sort of a training on youtube or something you on know. how to do TikTok. I, and I wish I was, I, I, I will first handedly ex like just admit that I understand the appeal of TikTok. I do not always understand the, the appeal of a post doing well. Mm -hmm. TikTok is probably the most nebulous little algorithm because, and daddy will say it too, like I'll spend time, you know, 30 minutes or something editing a small up and down video, you know, to make sure that it, it adheres to the platforms, make it funny, make it snappy, make it hit. And it'll do shitty, but then I'll just take a clip out of, you know, random reels that I post via my Instagram just because of me and daddy Christopher being silly and it'll do gangbusters. It'll be amazing. Like 
there's a certain level of TikTok that makes no sense as far as success, but it is a very powerful tool. It is a very powerful platform and um, people ignore it at their peril because I think, especially for young people, that's where a lot that's of where people- That's where they live. That's where they live. They're, they're, they're not as much on Facebook. They're, they're not, an, they really are on TikTok a lot. And I, they, they still are watching long form content predominantly on YouTube, but yeah. short form content, TikTok is where it's at. And Instagram a little bit, but Instagram far less because people don't really trust Meta still. Yeah. And I don't, I don't blame them. Yeah. Like, and, and I think the, the TikTok presentation's a little bit slicker than the reels on, on Instagram. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, actually, this leads into one of a, one of the really good questions that came from that video, uh, that video that we did with you and daddy, which actually uh, we didn't have time for in the video, but it's from Swise who says, the vocal subset of gatekeeping and often anti-queer young queer people boggles my mind. And I'm wondering if you have seen any precedent in our history on how you think we address or heal this. So they're saying young people are gatekeeping? Is that what they- what? So I'll use a personal experience. Okay. Like a lot of young queer people will say no kink at pride with, oh. with the, the very, very clear precedent of you don't know your history. You don't know Stonewall. You don't know how the leather communities worked in or how the the dykes on bikes or how the lesbians kind of saved the gay community. You know, you'll see this this subset, not a, not a huge one, but enough of a subset that causes upset and causes the discourses to happen of like removing the L from the LGBT or removing the T from the mm -hmm. LGBT or just removing the kink from the pride. Like, do you have any... Have you have you seen any precedent within our history that kind of that that forces those kinds of ideals? Yes, I think all community progress is messy. <laughs> What'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I've I've been doing this a long time, and I've never seen a smooth set of changes go through a community without a little bit of kerfuffle. A good example would be when the Gay Liberation Front, which is what it was originally called when we were a political movement, um, began to uh, start listening to lesbians more and say, oh, we need the word lesbian in there somewhere. And all of a sudden it became gay and lesbian. Then there was another set of social discussions within the queer activist community. And eventually the L came before the G. <laughs> so there's this- Which changed because of the AIDS? An HIV epidemic, or because I was told, I was I've been told that the lesbians were so paramount there that they moved the L to the front of that acronym, but mm -hmm. I've never seen a specific like anecdote that said it happened on this date because of this person because of this thing that happened. Oh, I wish I knew that. I don't. Okay, I, I do fine. know that it was a it was a it was a robust discussion because huh. there were you know, queers have the same biases and fucked up that everybody else has <laughs> yep, and baggage. and they don't change easily and so a lot of gay men at the time were resistant to putting the l in front i i heard those discussions all the time now it's just accepted but um i don't remember the impetus behind it exactly why that change was requested or discussed i do remember the discussions though and that mm -hmm. they were messy and sometimes a little nasty and then eventually it all settled and look everything's just fine <laughs> you know nobody really cares <laughs> but at the time it was it was a bone of contention with many people so um i think young people gatekeeping is just another type of messiness with community that there there's a bit of ignorance that happens when you're gatekeeping and yeah. i think once they become a little bit more aware informed 
um, once they interact with a wider group of people, they all they go, oh, you know, maybe that wasn't such a important thing after all. So, but I do think that I think gatekeeping of various kinds has existed as long as the communities have had movements. Yeah, both in the King community and out. Um, and I'm just doing some fact checking here. Um, but uh, Dr. G, who taught LGBTQ plus history at California State University, San Bernardino, state stated that uh, people started to become more aware of the role that lesbians played within the gay rights movement. Moving an L in front of the G may seem trivial to many, but symbols don't have to be grand gestures. And the change was meant to honor the women who also were part of the gay rights movement, says Dr. G. So the AIDS crisis in 1980s literally changed everything especially as the Reagan revolution swept across the nation. That syncs with what I experienced. So, yeah. 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 And, um, and it was a way of honoring um, lesbians at a time in a way that I think they were sometimes pushed aside because gay, gay, gay was always out front. And uh, as our vernacular changed a little bit more and gay wasn't just this all encompassing umbrella, um, then it was important to, to honor the lesbians. Maybe we need to move the T to the front now. Mm, no. You know what? I'm, I'm not against I, it. I'm not against it either. I'm not against it. And, and, and I know a lot of old gay guys like me would probably explode. That's and, just and, it, though. And they're not and even transphobic necessarily. No. But they wouldn't understand the symbolic nature of that, that move and how important it could be in saving lives and mm -hmm. gaining rights etc and who you know who really honestly gives a damn with the order of the letters as long as it's most people don't give a damn about the letters at all they're just like i'm tired of writing letters to this i'm like just let people exist and use words that exist you that's, know i think that's why we're starting to default to using queer because a yeah. lot of people don't want to say all the the letters and they're also afraid of leaving out some of the letters true um, and, and, which i understand i get it so by by using the the term queer, I think it's this all-encompassing phrase that means everybody that's in that queer bucket. I agree. Um, well, maybe let's let's talk a bit more about with this next question. Maybe some knee-jerk reactions to things that change. change people hate change. They do. I I rarely change my my underwear, let alone my, my <laughs> attitude. You know. Oh, is that what's going on? Oh. Oh, I'm not wearing it right now, but that's because I didn't want to change it. No. Um, we did kind of talk about this. Uh, this question from Corbin says: Are there any parts of the culture that you would that you feel we've lost over time that you would like to see come back? And you guys said things like. Dinner parties, you know, formal yeah. dinner parties, which I, I've been to one in my lifetime, but it was not formal enough. Yeah. And it was actually, a, it was a Juanita Moore party. Oh, those are good parties. Yeah, those are good yeah, parties. Those are good parties. She can party. really cook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but are there any other things that now that we've got a bit more time to think about it, are there any other things in the culture that you feel were lost or that you've missed as times change? Are we talking Leather King culture? I like asking a question, just seeing how someone answers it, because that says more about that says more about the question yeah. and the person than mm -hmm. how I've asked it. You know? Okay, yeah, because it could be queer culture, it could be yeah. leather king culture. Um, uh, some things that I wish would come back. Um, I think there's wishing things personally will come back that differ from I think they should and must come back. In other words, uh, like I really would love list. I would love to walk into a leather bar and have it just dripping in leather men and have it look like it's right out of a Tom of Finland drawing. And I would like that. Sure. That turns me on. Do I think it should happen? Probably not. Cause it's, 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 it's not where the culture is right now. Well, and to that, like, and there were even comments on the, the video cause you guys had an in-depth conversation kind of where we talk about the, 
the lack of certain people in a bar or the lack of or like wanting, for instance, a full Leatherman bar is not at the expense of other people as much as just wanting a, a, a space that is being respected, that is talking about our culture, that is not at the expense of other people. Because there were some lesbians in the chat of that video that were like, oh, yes. And I wish we had more lesbian spaces that were women's spaces for leather. Oh, yeah. I would love that. Yeah. Is that realistic? Probably not because we don't we barely have enough like of an audience in San Francisco mm -hmm. to have a strictly leather gay men's bar, you know? Gail Rubin always talks about our crisis of real estate. Yeah. And um I think she's right. I think that it is really an economic crisis and a brick and mortar crisis more than anything else. It's very expensive to have space for queer people, for kinky people, for anyone that wants an affinity space where this brick and mortar entity caters just to your demographic. I don't, mm -hmm. I just think that that's a very, very difficult thing to do now economically. Well, especially femme spaces or lesbian yeah. bars, whatever you would like to call it, however you want to reference it. There's, there's full on, I watched a documentary the other day, I think it was done by Vice that talked about the disappearing spaces for yep. women. And I was just like, damn, like even in San Francisco in that 2015, I think video was like, had the most and it was like two or three. Yeah. And I bet you a bunch of those don't even exist anymore. So like yeah. space, real estate, absolutely a thing that goes away. There's a new club in town and I am I'm blanking on the name, but mm -hmm. there is a, a, a women centered in San Francisco. Bar. Yes, in San Francisco. And I I want to say it's in the mission, but don't quote me on that. But I did just read that one opened. So I'm I'm hoping that that's true. And I would like to see more more spaces that cater specifically to women. A good example is I know that one of our local bars um tried a women's an all women's night uh -huh. and it was somewhat successful i i think they probably could have marketed it better and it would have been more successful social media social media social they media. but um i love the fact that they took the bar and for one night it was a, it essentially was a women's bar and i know that that's that. just one night but yeah. these days you know the the full bluff full cow guys are going to get one night and the women might get one night and the rubber people might get one night and the pups might get one night and that's just the way it is now yeah, realistically though, and just between you and me and everyone listening to this podcast, <laughs> do you really need more than one night a week? Like, yeah, you know, I I think the I think guys my age miss walking into a bar seven nights a week and knowing that's how it was going to be. That's were, right. You know, I could go on a Tuesday night into a leather bar in the 1970s, and it would be dripping in leathermen and look like you know like i said and if something. you didn't like the vibe of that bar was there another bar down the street that and had there the was same an, exact thing there was there was in fact i my favorite leather bar in chicago i could literally walk across the street to the other leather bar mm -hmm. that i would go to so um it was a different era but you know times change and and like you said people don't like change and and no. it, it's astounding how many leather men of my age i still hear grumble about leather bars not being all leather and I'm like, well, but, you know, and my answer to them is always, then you open that leather bar. Uh, yeah, right. And you try to fill it with leathermen seven nights a week and make money. I, go for it. You have my blessing. Try. And I, because I really do think it's just, an, it's just the economics of it. More than anything. I really no, do. I, I fully agree. Like, I, I, I think about this question in, in terms of like, when I am a bit older, what am I going to look back and be like, oh, I miss that. I'm I'm going to look back and probably miss like social media having nudity on it, like being able to find fun, sex, positive, sexy content, 
easily. Yeah. It used to be you could go on Twitter, even Instagram, and find like gay, queer, kind of sexually suggestive stuff. But nowadays, there are so many sex negative rules and, and lawsuits happening. Even Instagram's got sex workers after them right now. And Twitter, God rest its soul, it's almost dead, it feels like some days because. I can't tag, I can't even, I tried to tag you and daddy in that video. Mm -hmm. Couldn't tag either of you. Yeah. And you're not even an adult account. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm occasionally I've been shadow banned. For what though? I don't, because, because you talk about sex content? I talk about sex and even though I don't think I've ever posted, I, I'm sure of it. I've never posted a single nude photo on Twitter That's myself wild. personally. And um, I'm not even sure I've shared one. I think maybe, but I don't think, but I do talk about sex. I talk about queer. I talk about kinky and I talk about um, sexual public health and things like that. And even that. Well, that's demonetized. It's, that, yeah. it's nuts. I mean, I'm trying to tell people how to, you know, avoid STIs and avoid HIV and, and et cetera. And then it gets dinged. I mean, I'm just trying, you're trying to help people. It's very frustrating. Well, so you, case in point, um, we talked about AIDS and the epidemic and the crisis. Uh, that video was, there was a flag under it that said HIV and AIDS, what you should know from the CDC. None of our videos get that tag. Yeah. It was a literal, like it goes above all of our descriptions and all of our information. It just, it's, it feels almost like a, like a, a, a scarlet A, like, you know, like that stamp, like a little bit. Yeah. And I'm not against information, but why are you forcing that onto our video? Why is that not an option? Why is that not? It feels like you're stamping us as a negative right off the bat. Yep. And if I saw that video bomb or do badly or take a week and some change just to get a manual review to let me post it, that feels bad. Yeah. That feels gross. It is gross. And it's so frustrating. Especially because, and and it's not because you're a friend and we're affiliated with the shows, but- No, tell me the truth, Brace. No, Tell me how you feel. <laughs> you are always, you honestly are always trying, you and Chris both are always trying to help people. Ultimately, what's the safe word? And okay. everything you do is trying to help people. Good information, good discussion, bring up topics that you know need to be out, you know, in in the public air. And so there's just nothing but good intent behind it, and then it gets dinged. That's the frustrating part. It's and and I have a an, a thorn in my side about that. Sure, like we've never gotten a channel strike on YouTube. Well, no, that's not fair. We've gotten two channel strikes in our history that were I, both I, faulty because I, YouTube just flagged our account for no I, reason. I don't know what a, what a channel strike um, is. Imagine your account is fully just removed, deleted, or restricted. Ooh. Yeah, like channel strikes can cause that. Mm. Um, we've had them twice on, on our YouTube channel, and both times they fully took away all of our monetization features. And I said, why? And a week and a half later, they said, oops, sorry, that wasn't on. That was a random algorithmic change. And I said, well, why is it happening? Can I get like a... Like a, a YouTube person that I can email if this ever happens. Oh, sorry, you're not eligible. And I'm like, my friend who has a hundred thousand less subscribers has one. Why don't we have like? Yeah. It's we've never we've never had a, a slap on the wrist, and they treat us like we're the fucking plague. I you know? I don't is, get it. I don't get. I mean, yeah. Uh, frustrating. It is. Um, but so is talking about HIV, which leads to the next question. Actually, uh, Pup Buff asks, I would love to hear stories from before the AIDS crisis and how things compare to post prep. So like, oh, that's, how, um, how has that changed for you? Do you think? I think so. I, I think we've come somewhat full circle. Let me explain in the I, sense, okay. in the sense that um, we we had a lot of sex 
Mm -hmm. There was, um, you know, bathhouses, sex clubs, play parties, etc. One of the ways gay men in particular socialized was sexually. And then people think that that's an odd way to say it, but we did. Uh, we actually would end up having sex with a lot of friends and, and people that we knew. And um, that came to a very quick halt once HIV came on the scene. And we, especially in those years where we had to adapt not knowing all the information. How do you get this? Mm -hmm. You know, so there was that period of time where we didn't even know how it was transmitted at first. And so everybody was ultra cautious. Mm -hmm. um, now we are in the era of prep and a conversation I have with an older gay man illustrates why I think prep is so important. He was grumbling that these young kids yeah, here we go. He was grumbling. The young kids, you know, we had to wear condoms all the time and this and that. And, and I'm still in full support of anybody who wants to, to use condoms. Absolutely. But did we not fight for all those years to get the medicines, to get the abilities so that these kids can have the same sexual freedoms we had when we were younger? And, you know, isn't it just kind of fucked up that you would not want them to have that kind of freedom? So I think... PrEP and um, undetectable equal un untransmissible mm -hmm. and just better information and knowledge and, and um, uh, a community that's aware, they're able to have the kind of sex life that we had in our youth should they choose to have it, you know, to, to want it. Well, that's what it should be is a choice. I'm not going to yell at someone that they need to use condoms because that's not my place to tell them what they need to do, but it is my place to be like, hey, do you know about this? Do you know about that? Do you, are you making good and safer choices? Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as 100% safe sex. Nope. You could, that condom's not going to save you if if it rips on accident, you know, but there are medications that will help save you. And I think shaming people for something that they haven't even done or that they're not doing right in your eyes is going to just, that starts off any conversation badly. It does. No one likes to be shamed. Nobody likes to be shamed and nobody likes to be, um, well, nobody really likes to be told what to do, period. So back in the day, like, well, no, <laughs> don't tell me what to do. I'll brat harder than ever. Back in the day, did you guys, what would a conversation look like then? For like sex, a, sex, like you're not oh. worried about like, like nowadays, one of the first questions no. you might have is you talk to someone's like, hey, are you on prep? Like as you start getting intimate, like yeah. as you start like touching and feeling, yeah. hey, yeah, are you on prep? What, what's, what's that going to look like if we go to the bedroom right now? Whereas uh, back in the day, like, what was the first question you asked someone? I love that we use Grayland's phrase back in the day all the time. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, back in the day, um, no, you really didn't think about it. We had, um, we had STIs. And um, uh, I remember, you know, going to the clinic in Chicago and the guys would just be talking like they were in a bar. They were just getting checked or treated or whatever they needed to do. And um, so we were aware of that. And we were, you know, we... Um, but we didn't really halt anything we did sexually. We didn't second guess anything. There were not a lot of health related questions that happened except amongst us, um, BDSM types, we would ask things like, do you have any physical problems or is there something <laughs> I need to know? Or, you know, do you, do you pass out when you're turned upside down? <laughs> that sort of stuff. <laughs> I mean, on a Monday. <laughs> on a, yeah. But no, we didn't really stop and check the health kind of stuff, you know, from a sexual health perspective back then. Um, yeah, it's a different conversation now. But you guys had STIs before, uh, or STDs back in the day. ST days, we, had, um, yeah, we, did, we did call them. And to this day, most people still say STD. True. Yeah. Although yeah. more politically correct would be STI because diseases versus infections. But yep. I'm, 
That's yeah. that's counting STDs. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we had them and we were aware of them and we would get tested and treated fairly regularly if necessary. Um, uh, but it just wasn't a big deal. Mm. That, in fact, I've seen people react more negatively to an STI today than they did back then. How would I say it? So back then it's like, oh, you know, I got chlamydia. That's, that's messed up. I went and got treated. I'm fine. I'll be fine in a week. And you, you just went on with your day. You didn't think twice about it. And I have seen some people in, in recent memory kind of get bent out of shape when they've been told like yeah. they were exposed or whatever. And, and it's just the nature of being in a community and being sexual. And it doesn't, all it means is you, you know, had sex with one person and now you need to get yourself checked or yeah. treated. <laughs> if it's something, especially, especially if it's something treatable and yeah. it didn't, it didn't happen on purpose. Like, yeah. I, I, and, and, and the thing is, you know, we don't, we don't, I, if you gave me the flu, I wouldn't come to you and be upset that you gave me the flu. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be thrilled, but, but the point is I, it was just, just the nature of the beast or you get a cold or mm -hmm. whatever it might be from someone else that you happen to be around, that's, you just shrug your, your shoulders and go, oh, that, that's kind of messed up. But when it's an STI, for some reason, because it's sexually related, everybody gets, bent out, not everybody, some people get bent out of shape. I think that that's because sex is something people easily get like, oh, uh, yep. twisted, you know, in knots about because it's something that is more personal, is more villainized in a lot of ways in our mm -hmm. society, is more risky, you know, for, for lack of a better term. And it's unfortunate because it gets that, uh, it just keeps getting hit on the head with all this negative energy yeah. when it's really a lovely, beautiful thing when you share with someone and you're communicating. And I, I to this question that Buff asks, um, how does it compare to a post prep world? The other night I was at a, not a sex party, but a party that, you know, people are getting hot and heavy mm -hmm. and making out. Um, and someone was actively like, you know, up like touching and feeling. And I was like, okay, this feels like sexual energy. And they're like, so I know you're demisexual, but like, what does that mean when like you're out in a party? And we had that kind of conversation. But that's kind of nice that they asked that. It is. It is. I'm saying that's like, cool. that's how the conversations look nowadays. Because yeah. the person I was speaking with, I was like, oh, I know they're on prep. I know that they're actively having plenty of fun, sexy, fun times. I'm on prep as well. Like we've already broken down that barrier. Mm -hmm. There's this, this known, you know, we're, we're both covered. We're both smart. We're educated mm -hmm. on sexual health. I want to talk about being demisexual. What does that mean for you? How does that work? And it was just such a nice, refreshing conversation. Yeah. While I couldn't hear every other word because it was a loud bar, it was just nice to have that condo and kind of explain it. Um, and it just felt nice. It felt nice to have that conversation. And, you know, I think maybe one of the things that's happening, partly because people like you do what you do, but just we're having this social conversation more. People do talk a little bit more about their sex than they used to. Um, and the, the, the consent discussions that are happening today. I'm a hugger. I'm a toucher. I'm mm. a, I'm a grabber. I am. I mean, I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but my natural tendency is to reach out and hug you. My natural tendency is to kiss somebody on the, on the cheek. My natural tendency is to see a beautiful man's chest and want to stroke it. My, that's just my natural tendency. And back in the day we did. And nowadays I have had to retrain myself and I, I still fuck up. I, I just the other, I was at the Eagle and I reached out and touched someone and, oh, and I realized that I didn't ask and they were fine, but I would never have thought there that. There are people that will react yeah. with 
Uh. Yeah, and it was just it was just me being friendly and it was a really hot guy and yeah. And so um so I think we're having conversations with each other that we didn't have back in the day, back in my day. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that overall that's pretty healthy. We did always have it in BDSM. That's the one thing I can say is we had these conversations when we were going to do BDSM because the nature of what we did was such that somebody could get hurt um, or it could go Im physically or emotionally awry. And um, so we were used to having those conversations, which is one of the reasons why when HIV came on the scene, it was the leather community that was, um, along with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence of and a few others, that were on, they were on the vanguard of, of education and telling people how to do things right because they had a long history of discussing their sex. And so it was very, it was just a few more questions for us to toss into our usual, usual arsenal of questions uh, when we were going to meet somebody. You didn't have Twitter. You didn't no. have social media. How did you guys share information? How did you guys teach each other? We talked a lot in bars. <laughs> we had, uh, like we now have less spaces of. Less spaces of. Um, those dinner parties to which you alluded. Uh, which we now have we less of, have thanks less to COVID. Of, but we would have those. Uh, lots more hanging out at people's houses than that seems to happen currently. Um, uh, Palm Springs, notwithstanding, since they, they live on pool parties. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pool parties in Palm Springs. Um, so uh, it was just one-to-one -one conversations, bumping into people, hanging out with people, a lot of conversations in bars. But um, the closest we had to a communication mechanism was phone trees. You know, one person would call someone and say, oh, you, we need to do this for this the community event, and we'd sort of spread information. But in terms of conversations about this kind of stuff, it was one-to-one -one in bars. Wow. Pretty much. And and of course, the BDSM community had classes and they would do like meetings where they talked. We no? didn't have classes in the beginning. No. When, I, when was the earliest? So um, the earliest I really remember BDSM or kink classes of any kind was when Tony DeBlas started to do them. He had... Which, um, with, which organization was that? Um, you know, I don't know if it was through an organization. I just remember him teaching classes. Oh, okay. Um, and I remember he taught me how to do, you'd laugh because of all your rope skills, but he taught me how to do a rope harness, which back in the day was <laughs> amazing. And it was this simple little knotted rope harness that I would put on people. And it's still like the best rope I can probably do. Oh, people do. are still very impressed. If you pull out rope in a bar and you do something with it. Anything? Th yeah, anything. Okay, okay. Well, maybe I will not because I'm always a little hesitant now. No, bring out but, I love when people bring rope to the bar. Um, uh, but so I don't remember classes until tony started to do them so we're talking sometime in the 80s wow that yeah i i i okay. back in the 70s when i came out into leather there was no such thing as anything instructional it was all tribal knowledge yeah i mean where would you put that yeah you there were no there were no magazines that weren't porn mm -hmm. there were no uh there was no social media um, there were no publications dedicated to us outside of Drummer Magazine, and that wasn't particularly instructional. That was more titillating than anything and somewhat informational, but it wasn't really instructional. So um, the earliest I remember was Tony DeBlas. I, I, I attended some class he did on rope, and I thought this was so cool. Someone's teaching how to do this. And for those that don't know, Tony DeBlas is the one who created the Leather Pride flag. He's done many a thing in the community, but... What he is very well known for is he's the one that designed the leather pride flag. He is. And, and, uh, but he's as close as I had to a mentor mm. and, um, we were, we were very good friends. And to this day, I still think he's one of the 
most brilliant BDSM players I've ever witnessed in person. Um, just mm. the the way he he was able to do some of the most twisted, fun stuff, but with a loving smile at the same. I don't know how I don't know how to describe it, but it was just lovely to watch him play. It was just, and everybody wanted to play with him. Everybody wanted to play with him. Poor guy. Yeah, oh, no, he he had his pick of. BDSM bottoms. He really did because he was not only just a nice, nice man, mm -hmm. but he was very good at what he did. Mm -hmm. That's really sweet. Well, then as we get into the tail end of the, the pod here, um, and we're going to do a little bit of aftercare after this, um, which actually the top, I'm interested in your takes on the topic. Uh, how to talk about kink around kids is some a question that someone asked. Ooh. So if you're interested in our conversation and takes on that, we will have the aftercare on the Patreon where all of our patrons not only get the video podcast with Race's lovely face, um, but get a little extra aftercare after the pod. So, uh, Race, before we go, mm. I have one last question for you, and th there might not be an answer for it. Um, where do you see activism? Because that's kind of what our conversation was about today is activism and how we've changed not only with spreading information, but teaching. Where do you see that going? Because I think, and to your credit, I think you are the one of the most tech savvy individuals of your generation. Thank you. You know, because, <laughs> well, no, because you ask questions. You want to know about TikTok. You want to know yeah. why something did bad or good. Like you have insight on why a post is going to be successful or not. You know to talk or tag or link to things in threads and whatnot. I'm curious what you think your own personal opinion is on where social media and activism is going to go. So I think that activism on social media will continue to be an incredibly important element of activism. Mm. The one thing that I hope the younger generation does realize is that sometimes you do need to march into a legislator's office. Sometimes mm. you do need to put the boots on and go marching with people like we did with Black Lives Matter and things like that. Sometimes you need to be boots on the ground. Um, sometimes you need to directly write a legislator. Mm -hmm. Anything that's directed toward a legislat legislative office gets a lot of weight. They make an assumption, I forget what the current formula is, but when they get one letter, let's call it a letter or an email, sure. they assume that this many people thinks the same way, X number. They have like a little math. They problem. have a math that oh. they, they, at least they, they did back in the day. Cause I remember people that worked in Senate offices would say, if we get one letter, we assume this many people thinks exactly what this piece, but this person took the time to write the letter. Mm -hmm. So a whole bunch of people just didn't take the time, but that's how they feel. So, um, it really does matter to have that kind of direct input into the legislative process, the elect, the election process, et cetera. So social media is extremely important. But there are times you just need to get your hands dirty and dive in. I agree. I I I, I hear that. Um, keyboard warriors yeah. unite, but there's only so much that the number of retweets or likes or yeah. retumbles or whatever the fuck we call it nowadays share. The amount of shares of something, while important and impressive, only really matters to the people who are trying to monetize those clicks. To the people that, that that might be directed at, to the people who actually make the decisions, you gotta sometimes get your shoes on and actually march and move and do something about it. But good social media is really important to it politics. Uh, I'm gonna, and this sounds partisan, but I'm, I, I hope it doesn't come off that way. Um, the person that President Biden hired to do his social media mm. is freaking brilliant. Oh sure. I'm the some of the, I mean when he took that Marjorie Taylor Green clip turned and it into turned an it into an ad. Oh my I god. Mean, his the and I believe it's a young gay guy. 
that he hired that does his social media. Would not be surprised. And um, I am just astonished how good it is sometimes. Because, I mean, clearly, you know, he doesn't know social media the way he, he should. He's got a really smart team. But at least he knows who to defer to and say, okay, I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. Yeah. You know social media. Um, so it can be very, very, very powerful. So it's one of the important elements of activism. But it is not the sum total of activism. And if you're trying to hire for a social media manager for any company, look for a young queer person. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look for, I, I agree. I mean, I, I know a lot about social media, but I would defer to, uh, I actually ran social media at my company for a little while. Oh. And yeah. For a little, little short while. And um, I think about what I did and it was so rudimentary compared to what is done now. We didn't have TikTok then. It was back before so it was pre-TikTok. So um, and of course, corporations would default to just the big three, which at the time was um, Facebook, um, Twitter, LinkedIn. And, you know, that, that's all that they looked at. I know. And I'm like, well, why aren't you expanding? And they just, it, I just think they, they didn't. They didn't for whatever they reason. Didn't, they didn't see the numbers and the money. And so yeah. therefore, so yeah. That's so fascinating. I Every time I talk to you, Race, I find something new to glom onto, and I've got 50 million more questions for you. But unfortunately, we only have about another minute left on the podcast today. So okay. if you don't mind telling everyone where they can find you on social media. Uh, I am typically either Race Bannon, R-A-C-E-B-A-N-N-O-N, or Bannon Race in reverse on most social media. Race Bannon was taken on a number of sites, so mm -hmm. I just flipped the name around and it's Bannon Race. And we'll link to those down in the description. But if you'd like to find Race, go check it out down below. If you'd like to find me, I'm PupAmp everywhere, PupAmp.com for the naughty bits. This has been a What's the Safe Word production of What's Your Safe Pod. You can find us everywhere at What's the Safe Word on most social media. You can find the aftercare on our Patreon where me and Race are going to specifically, this person here, I'll give you a little tease. Okay. Um, how do you talk to kids about kink when it's become apparent that they might have them? My six-year-old nephew clearly has a foot fetish. And the mom is a bit afraid how to react to that. Wow, that's that's a deep that one. That is a tough one. That's a tough one. And while we are not advocating for kids knowing about kinks, how do you deal with that? Find yeah. out this and more on our Patreon. We will see you all next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Ray, thank you again for coming on today. I'm happy um, to be here. We're going to dive right into this aftercare, which is Thick. And what an interesting question that I never have even thought to answer. But here we go.